<laughs> Fritz is so good to me. We went skiing yesterday. He didn't tell no stories on me. So he thinks because he don't tell stories on me <laughs> that I won't tell stories on him. He might be right today. We'll see. If you got your Bibles with you, would you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? We're going to finish up the chapter, God willing. Um, As we take a look, I just want to briefly um, back up and take a look at these three verses, which I believe are real key to understanding 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. You need to understand these three chapters flow together. They're all part and parcel of the same thing. And and as we continue to study, we're going to see that. Here's how that works. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about gifts. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through the life of the believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is again about gifts. And you look at the high priestly garment. When the high priest would serve in the temple, around the hem of his garment, he would have sewn into the hem bells and fruit. Bells and and fruit all the way around each bell would be tuned to a certain frequency a certain tone so that as he flowed as he worked in the holy of holies as he worked in the holy place there would be this beautiful sound as he moved and as he did what he was called to do as each bell rang out in according to its frequency but they didn't bang against each other because in between each of the bells was a fruit you look at first corinthians chapter 12 it's the bell the gifts the power of the holy spirit flowing through the life of the believer chapter 13 is love what's love fruit of the spirit chapter 14 again bells two bells separated by love how does first corinthians chapter 13 begin though i speak with the tongues of men and of angels if i have not love what profits me nothing clanging symbol bunch of noise So they've got to be sewn together. So as we look at these chapters, they fit together. And as Paul would write 1 Corinthians 12, in in verse 4, he says this. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So as we look at the gifts, as we look at the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we need to realize that it's going to work in like a threefold progression. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says to us, it lays out for us this, now concerning spirituals, pneumaticon. Pneumaticon is a Greek word. It's the same word from which we get the word pneumatics. Now, fellas, we ought to know what that is, right? That's how I take a tire off a car if if I'm near my, my garage or at the shop. I pull out an impact wrench, I plug air into it, I pull the trigger, and it takes them right off, right? That's how we are in the body of Christ. We are the tool. The Holy Spirit, He's the air. He's that which moves through us, energizes us to do what? The ministry He's called us to do. Ephesians chapter 4, what's the ministry? I gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, Some pastors, some teachers. 
We're not talking about titles when he's laying this out. We're talking about ministries. When we function in a capacity where we're shepherding someone else, we're functioning in the capacity of a pastor. If we're instructing someone in the Word of God, we're functioning as a teacher. If we invite our neighbor to church, we're functioning as an evangelist. If we've been sent out into the mission field, we're functioning as an apostle. So when we look at that, those, those titles may not flow through the church today, but certainly the ministries do. So the energy of the Holy Spirit equips us to use the gifts listed out for us in Romans chapter 12, applied to the ministries in Ephesians chapter 4, and that's how the body is knit together. That's how the body functions. So as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to be uh, talking in verse 10, we'll be picking it up in verse 10, um, and we've been speaking specifically about each one of the gifts. If you missed the last couple of weeks... Uh, You have to get the tape, because if I back up, we'll never get through chapter 12, ever. So as we take a look, we're going to look next at the gift of prophecy. We want to look at the gift of prophecy in light of Scripture. It's Scripture that indicates for us what a gift is. Not how we feel, not someone says. What does Scripture say? What does Scripture indicate for us? So we're going to back up and we're going to look at a particular prophet in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at Moses. We look at the life of Moses. In Exodus chapter 18, you can turn there with me or you can just listen. I'm going to share it with you anyway. He said this, uh, as uh, Jethro was talking to Moses, he said, Listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand therefore before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, show them the way in which they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moses is a prophet called to the Lord. What was the role he was supposed to do? Speak the word of God to the people. Give the message of God to the people. When we look at the gift of prophecy, we look at both. We sometimes only focus on foretelling because basically a third of the Bible is prophecy, foretelling. But prophecy is also foretelling speaking forward the word of god listen oftentimes the gift of prophecy is found within a sermon but the sermon itself is not prophetic i've experienced in my life times where i've i've had to do one two sometimes three services in one day in fact just a little while ago the month of february uh, i went out to the twin falls jail and i taught three messages out there three three of the same message three times to three different groups of guys that were allowed to come in and, and spend some time in the Word. And if you were there for all three, you would note that all three were different. All three were the same Scripture. All, all three I had the same notes. But all three were different because the Holy Spirit was moving in different ways and bringing different illustrations forward so that the Holy Spirit engages the mind of he who speaks and brings forward that word that he desires for people to receive. The gift of prophecy. The gift of, maybe you've experienced in your life. Think about this. Hey, I'm out and I'm, I'm spending some time with a friend, a friend who's struggling and they're talking and you don't really, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help out. And all of a sudden you remember a, a scripture. Or you remember an illustration you heard at church. Or you remember something. That's the Holy Spirit speaking into your life and you speaking forth a word of prophecy. It's not always forth, or it's not always foretelling something in the future, 
though it can be. But many times, practically, we see it that way. As we look at scriptures, when we look at the Old Testament and we consider prophets, Deuteronomy chapter 18 tells us the guidelines for a prophet. Not too many people were signing up to be a prophet in the Old Testament. You know why? It was was a little rough on those guys. For example, one of the things is a a prophet, when he spoke in Deuteronomy 18.20, when he speaks a word according to God's name that God did not command him to speak, the penalty was death. He speaks in presumption he's, he's a false prophet. Or say a prophet speaks, says something's going to happen and it doesn't happen. What did the Bible say? He's a false prophet. Folks, do you realize today there are people basing their eternal security and their salvation on a word of a prophet that is false? Basing everything on a false prophet. When we look at that, the guidelines for prophecy, the guidelines for whether something is true or not, is that a prophet speaking by the, by the breath of God is always right and is always true. If he's not, then he's not the prophet. He's not a prophet, and his word should always line up with God's word. Deuteronomy 18 says it will always align itself with God's word. It won't be different. There won't be a new revelation. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God who at various times and in various places spoke to us through the prophets. Has in these last days spoken, finished through his son Jesus Christ. The final word is given. The final word through God's word. Applying that concept of prophecy. You know why else I didn't line up to be a prophet? Because a prophet wasn't always based on what he spoke. Sometimes a prophet was based on what he did. Can you imagine? Sometimes God asked his prophets to do some strange things. Maybe you'll remember that we take a look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel, God called him to build a model of the city of Jerusalem and then destroy it so that the people would see this model of what was coming in the future for them. Jeremiah put a yoke around his neck and walked around with a yoke like an oxen. As an example to the people. Now those two guys had it easy. Life was easy for them. Because Isaiah had to walk around barefoot and naked for three years. Thank you Lord that you're not calling me to be that kind of prophet. (laughs) These were... (laughs) I know you guys are all thanking the Lord too. This is the way God worked... In the Old Testament prophets. But listen guys, a lot of times when we look at the Old Testament prophets, we see God working in miraculous ways, doing miraculous things through Elijah, through Elisha, through the prophets. God did all these incredible things. But we also don't want to lose sight of John the Baptist. What does scripture say about John the Baptist? Of men born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. You know how many miracles John the Baptist did? None. What did he do? He proclaimed the way of the Lord. Make the straight path for Jesus. He proclaimed to the people who were gathered, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That, folks, is the gift of prophecy. Pointing to Jesus Christ. People finding 
Jesus Christ through these things. We see in the New Testament a guy named Agabus in the book of Acts. Agabus, as Paul's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, he takes a belt from Paul and he binds his wrists, his hands and feet. And he says, now with the man whose belt this is, this is what is awaiting him. God gave him the word. Did it happen? It did. Was it true? It is. Did it align with scripture? Absolutely. Agabus was a prophet, New Testament prophet. Agabus earlier on in the book of Acts, he was at a meeting and he spoke to the, to the elders of the church, to the disciples, and he said, hey, there's a famine coming. Now, how did they know for sure that he had the gift of prophecy? When the famine came, they knew. The word was true. The word that he had stood up. Well, guys, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he lays out for us something that I think we need to just kind of take a quick look at, and then we'll back up again. But listen, chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Prophesy. God wants each of us to pray for that gift. Why? Because directly through that gift, we can affect the lives of others. And Paul's going to emphasize that as he goes on through chapter 14. What is it that prophecy is supposed to accomplish in our life? In chapter 14, verse 3, it lays out for us. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Build up, stir up, cheer up. That's what it does. That's why we gather together corporately, guys. How many times have we heard someone say at one time or another, you know, I can find church anywhere. I can find church on the golf course. I can have church at home. We don't have to gather corporately. But folks, that's in direct contradiction to what God's Word said. In God's Word, in the book of Leviticus, which we're studying on Wednesday nights, God told His people, when His people said, well, God, that's cool, but the tabernacle's crowded. A lot of people come to the tabernacle, so I'm just going to go do my offering myself. And God said, no, it's not okay. You need to gather together. Why? When the book of Hebrews, he said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is a manner of some, and why? And so much more as you see the day approach. What day? Day of the Lord. The day when Jesus Christ returns. The day when he calls his people home. We're to get, why do we gather together? We gather together to edify and exhort and comfort. To build up, stir up, cheer up. When I used to come to church, I came to church with this expectation. I got to get to church and see what, I got, what God's got for me today. But that's not how it works. I'm supposed to go to church and see what can I give today. And I'm not talking about offering. Doesn't matter to me at all. What does God want us to give? He wants us to edify. What's edification? Build up one another. Looking for an opportunity to build someone up within the body. That's functioning in the gift of prophecy. What about exhorting? Coming alongside someone who's feeling a little bit weak and say, Hey man, I'm here for you. Maybe I don't have all the answers, but I'll help you stand. Or to comfort, to cheer up, to come alongside and and encourage. Every one of us at one time or another experienced a good coach in our life. A coach that came along when we were ready to quit and told us, don't give up. Don't give up. You can do more. That's a gift of prophecy, man. That's it working practically in the body of the church. To serve the Lord. 
We gather together to minister to God. And in that, we receive. So as we gather, that's what we're to be looking to do. That's the opportunity we want to see. How can I encourage? How can I exhort? How can I cheer someone up? Well, how do we do it? We hug one another when we walk in. We, we shake each other's hands. We greet one another. We express love. What did Jesus say? He said, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. By your love one for another. When I grew up, there was this family that was super tight. My family wasn't as tight as theirs. I always wished that my family was like their family. Because every time they got together, it was this neat time. You could just tell that that family loved and cared about each and every one that was part of the family. That's how the family of God is supposed to be. That's how we need to function together. So as we work, as we move forward, as we allow the Holy Spirit to be the air blowing through us as tools, He will equip us to build up, stir up, and cheer up through the gift of prophecy moving through us. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, also goes on to talk about the gift of the discernment, the discerning of spirits, that we would be able to tell the difference between the false and the true. Do you know that we need that gift today? Do you know that we need to be able to understand when something's real and when something's not? Let me tell you the foolproof way to always know if something is real or it's not real. If it is in agreement with what God's Word says, it's true. If it's not found in God's Word or not part of God's Word, then lay it off to the side. If it's something that's blowing through the church, there's, there's been a series of things that have blown through the church, different movements, different things. If they're not found in God's Word, they shouldn't be a part of the church. Jesus said, the Scripture laid out for us, right? Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. God has finished what He had to say through Jesus Christ, His Son. There's not a new revelation. We've got enough. I don't know about you. I don't know the 66 books of the Bible I don't, I don't know every story, every scripture, every part that I can apply in my life. So I'm going to use the Word of God to help me with the gift of discernment. But you know the scripture lays out for us that there is a gift of discernment. In Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, to discern both good and evil. God's going to use or equip you or energize you with a gift of discernment. He's going to do it based on or work through your knowledge of the Word. And where our knowledge of the Word is lacking, our ability to discern is going to be lacking. So we want to be those who exercise Our abilities, exercise the opportunity to study God's Word, to allow God's Word to indicate for us a direction. In the the Old Testament book of Malachi, if you want to flip there with me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, says, Now, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. 
They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. That the Lord opens up a book of remembrance. One of the things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in our life was what? He said, don't worry when you stand before governors, when you're being accused. Don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance those things that Jesus said. So as we study and apply God's word in our life, we're building up within ourselves the tools that the Holy Spirit can point to to enable us to discern true, false, based on that application of God's word in our life. And you need to know, folks, every true move of the Spirit is going to be counterfeited, isn't it? We don't counterfeit that which is false. Right? No counterfeit $3 bills. If I give you a $3 bill and you take it, you are in need of the gift of discernment. (laughs) And so how do we understand the false? See, there are some people who think in order to understand the false, we should spend all our time studying the false so that we know it frontward, backward, and sideways. But I would say you'd be better suited to study the true. Because when you study the true, you'll recognize the false. When, when Kathy worked at Bank of America for a few years when we first got married, which was so long ago, they might not even have had computers in the bank back then. But when, we, when she was working there, one of the things that they did was you were able to understand counterfeit money because you handled so much of the true. When a counterfeit came through, it was different. Might not be able to necessarily exactly point to what was different. It felt different. It didn't seem right. Something was wrong because you spent so much time around the real. That's how we need to be in the body of Christ, functioning in the body of Christ. You have so many opportunities to study God's Word, don't we? We have women's studies just about every day of the week, I think. We've got a men's study on Monday nights. We've got a Wednesday night service where we're, we're going through the Old Testament. We've got a Sunday night service where we're going through the prophets. We have so much opportunity to study the true, to build up within ourselves those reserves that the Holy Spirit will use to do the work of discernment in our lives, to bring to us, to our remembrance, those things which Jesus said. We need the gift. Today more than ever. Why? Doesn't the scripture say that if possible, even the elect would be fooled? Here's a little... Lesson in the Greek. That phrase, if possible, doesn't mean it's not possible. That if, there are four class conditions to the word if in the Greek. That class, the word if in the Greek means it is possible for the elect to be deceived. It is possible for lack of discernment. A lack of the understanding of the whole counsel of God's Word. We need it all. Didn't Jesus say when He was in the wilderness tempted by Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. Every single one. 
So we want to be applying every word that God gave us. And we have so much opportunity to do it. And there's more coming. Kathy and I are praying about a couple studies coming. And so we hope to give lots of opportunity for something that's going to fit in everybody's business so that they can have an opportunity to study the word, apply the word, and build up within ourselves the resources that the Holy Spirit is going to use to give us a gift of discernment. To give us a gift to understand what's real and what's not real. In fact, the, the word discernment means, or in the Greek, is diakrisis pneumatos. Diakrisis pneumatos. It's, it's this concept of separating something, separating it apart, and taking it apart and proving it, testing it. You remember what Paul said of the Bereans in Acts 17? That they were more noble than others. Why? Because they received with all readiness the word of God that Paul gave. And then they went home and opened up the word and searched to make sure what he said was true. We want to have that hunger and that thirst for the truth of God's word as iron sharpens iron. Man, that's, that's, what, it, that's what occurs when we come together. We study God's word. We allow God's word to be applied in our lives. In Acts chapter 8, there's a, a story where we see the gift of discernment working. In Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 18, it says, Now when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered him money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on, with whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. For you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Look at verse 23. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. The Lord, working in the gift of discernment, giving a word to Peter spoke to his heart about what was going on in another person's life. Discernment of spirits. Being able to know. How many times do we see Jesus talking to the Pharisees when the Pharisees tried to trick him, you know? And Jesus would go right beyond their, their attempts to, to put them between a rock and a hard place and speak to their heart. Gift of discernment. What did Jesus say? These things that you've seen me do, you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the gifts of the Spirit, the energy of the Spirit, working through the life of the believer. Well, next we come to chapter 12, verse 10. We come to different kinds of tongues. In fact, the, the gospel tells in Mark chapter 16, these things will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. When we look at the gift of tongues, this is probably the, the biggest polarizing point within the body of christ and it really shouldn't be there's two errors that occur around the gift of tongues one the church i grew up in they basically forbid you should never speak in tongues and the whole time i was in that church i don't ever remember reading first corinthians 14 because when i read first corinthians 14 it says do not forbid to speak in tongues that's what paul said so that's one error, right? What's the other side? Overemphasis. 
Overemphasis. Folks, every time the gift of tongue is listed, it's listed last. Paul said, I speak with tongues more than you all in chapter 14. He had the gift of tongues, but he said, I would rather speak five words in a known tongue than 10,000 words in a tongue in the corporate body spreading the word. So the point is not that the gift of tongues has no value. Folks, the gift of tongues has an incredible value of edifying the one who speaks. It encourages me. It encourages the one who shares. It was never intended to be a form of prophecy. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 will tell us that a man who speaks in tongues speaks to God, not to men. The, the concept of tongues, of, the opposite of prophecy. The concept of tongues is that it is a precognitive speech that bypasses the intellect and enables me when I run out of words of how to praise God to praise God with words I don't even understand. And the scripture talks about using it. Paul said, I'm glad that I speak with tongues more than you all. Because it was something that encouraged him. But corporately together, he said, I'd rather speak five words that I could understand than 10,000 words in a tongue. We look at Acts chapter 2. What do we see? The, the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through the building where the 120 disciples were gathered. And immediately there were tongues of fire above their head. That never happened again. Tongues of fire above their head. And they began to speak in other languages. Languages that they didn't understand that other people did. And as the people gathered around, what took place? The gift of tongues stopped. And Peter gave a message. And that message, 3,000 people were saved. The Lord utilized that gift to announce the move of the Holy Spirit through the body on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. From that point forward, we see the gift of tongues work in a more private way. In fact, that wasn't a corporate gathering in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 10, in Acts chapter 19, over and over and over again as we see the Holy Spirit move. The Holy Spirit anoints the life of the believer. Now, folks, there are people who will tell you, well, then we see three separate times throughout the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is evidence of salvation. So therefore, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Do you remember what I shared with you before? We need the gift of what? Discernment. Why? Because in discernment, if we understand the whole counsel of God, we will know that Acts lays out for us much more than the gift of tongues as the anointing or empowering of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. For example, we want to take a look. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed... The place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The house was shaken and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They were being threatened that, that they should never again preach in the name of Jesus. And so they're calling out to the Lord for what? The best gift. What's the best gift? The one I need now. To be bold. To be strong for the Lord. So the Holy Spirit empowered them and gave them boldness. 
They're empowered, the epi, the overflow of the Holy Spirit in their life to speak forward the Word of God. Or Acts chapter 9, verse 17. It says, Now Ananias went his way, and he entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. He received his sight, arose, and was baptized. It says that he was filled, epi, overflowed with the Holy Spirit. And what happened? Scales fell off his eyes. Now, I know Paul spoke in tongues, but in this case he didn't. In this case, the gift he needed was to be able to see. And so the Lord had those scales. He wasn't blind anymore. How many times have you seen someone who gives their life to Jesus Christ, and then right after they give their life to Jesus Christ, they say, I see. Why? Because I begin to perceive the things that are really going on in my life. Because the Bible tells us that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. For they are what? Spiritually discerned. But when the Holy Spirit is upon us, we can see. Am I saying that the gift of tongues is not for today? Absolutely not. It is for today. And and I would encourage anyone who desires the gift to pray. How do we receive the gift of tongues? We ask. We pray and ask the Lord. He's the giver, right? He's the one who sends the Holy Spirit. He's the one who gives that gift. If the Lord, and the Lord gives us what we need, right? What we need. So we trust in the Lord, we lean upon Him, and He will give us what we need. In fact, when we look at the gift of tongues in the Scripture, here's what we see. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 lays out for us that the gift of tongues is for personal devotion. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Personal devotion. In 1 Corinthians 14, 14, the gift of tongues is used for effective intercession. Effective intercession. 14, 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Romans 8, 26 kind of continues that thought. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we ought to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So we see the gift of tongues used in intercession. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. So just calling out to the Lord. Finally, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 4. It's for personal edification, for the edification of the believer. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So we see there the work, the move, the power of the the Holy Spirit working through the gift of tongues. And finally, that last gift that we look at, the interpretation of tongues. Now when we come to 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to see Paul indicating in the church of Corinth, there were some problems. You see, everybody was taking opportunity to stand up and speak in tongues. One guy prophesied, another guy prophesied. There was chaos going on. And Paul said it shouldn't be that way. He said, if leadership decides that there ought to be tongues in the corporate body, there should never be more than three, and there should never be anyone speaking tongues together corporately where there is not the interpretation of tongues. That means someone standing up 
in declaring. Now, when I was growing up in some of the churches I went to, many times the interpretation would begin like this. My little children, thus saith the Lord. Now, the gift of discernment would tell me, but that's not what the word says. For a man speaks in tongues, he speaks who? To God. Glorify. What is it in Acts chapter 2? What were they doing? Proclaiming the wonderful works of God. Glorifying Him. The gifts of the Spirit all should point to who? Jesus Christ. What does the Spirit do in our lives? The Spirit always points to Jesus. Pointing to Him. So the gift of interpretation is that gift that should be used when tongues are utilized corporately within the body. But Paul encourages that the gift of tongues be used personally in your devotion, in your intercessory prayer, and um, as you uh, are looking for that extra kick, that extra boost personally in self-edification. That that's what he's going to direct us to as we get to chapter 14. So we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get there. There's good news now. I still have time. We're going to finish chapter 12. Maybe. We all need to exercise the gift of faith. Now listen, this is important as we consider all these energies and gifts that we've been talking about. Look at verse 11. It says, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually how? As he wills. As he sees fit. According to his perfect plan. It is the Holy Spirit and God that's going to decide what gifts we have, what gifts we exercise, and and how that's to be worked in our life. Listen, he gives to each one. You're going to see that phrase, each one, repeated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about four different times. How many times does God have to say each one receives something before we say, I guess I have one? Each one, each one, each one, individually, he gives the gift to be who you're called to be. Folks, you can see the gifts of the Spirit work so naturally in the body. For example, let's say that I told Kathy, man, babe, I'm really thirsty. You go get me some water. And she got up and she went out the back to get me water. That's a gift to help. She comes in through the door, and as she's coming down the center aisle, she trips and eats it right in the middle of the aisle. And someone gets out of the pew and and comforts her. That's a gift of exhortation. Another one comes out the other side and lifts her up. That's a gift of edification, working naturally within the body. There's not a bunch of craziness going on. It's God giving people the gifts they need to accomplish the work that God wants done in the body together. That's how it works. That's how it works. In fact, so often the gifts of the Spirit work so naturally in the life of of the church, in the life of believers, that we don't even notice. Folks, I tell you, I got good, solid brothers in the Lord that believe that the gifts of the Spirit are not in existence anymore. That was for the period of the time in the apostles. It's all over now. You know, hey, this is the focus now. It's just the word. But you know what? They still use the gifts. They just don't call them that. But I still see them. Now, there's some gifts that they don't have anything to do with. 
But the gift of helps, the gift of teaching, the gift of administration, they're still using those, right? Because the Holy Spirit is still working in their lives. They're shutting out other gifts that may edify themselves, that may help them to understand more about what God wants to do in their life. But is the Holy Spirit still working in their life? Yes. Are they still my brother? Absolutely. What does God call us to our brethren? He calls us to unity. Unity. The the gifts are never intended to sow discord between brethren, right? They're not. Do they? Yeah. Why? Because of the way that we choose to emphasize, argue, bicker between one another. But that's not ever a work of the Spirit, folks. That's a work of the flesh. It's a work of the flesh that divides brethren. Well, as we look at verse, <clears throat> chapter 12, verse 12, he goes on, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. What's he saying? Recognize that there's variety in the body of Christ. Do you know that? Folks, we are called to unity, not uniformity. Take a look around. There's all kind of folks. All kind of folks with all, that are different. That's great. God said he calls us to, to diversity, but he calls us to unity in that diversity. Recognize that there is supposed to be variety, not uniformity. Everyone is not supposed to be just like me. Man, that would be so boring, wouldn't it? There's supposed to be a variety. Many members, one body. Do all members do the same thing? Does your eye do the same thing your tongue does? Nope. It don't, huh? When's the last time you picked up a big old spoonful of of Jello and you wanted to know what flavor it was and so you smeared it in your eye? That's not going to work very good, right? That's not what that member is intended for. Variety in the body. Variety in the body, but one body. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. We are all baptized into what body? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. Who's the head of the body of Christ? Jesus. He's the head. In our own heads, in our own body, what tells our body what to do? The head, right? If we cut this off, do the rest of it work? It doesn't work. So, Jesus being the head is going to guide the body, the body of Christ, moving and working together. For by one Spirit, we're baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. The same Spirit that baptizes and empowers me, baptizes and empowers you. And the Spirit, folks, never contradicts itself. The Spirit, folks, never interrupts Himself. The Spirit is unity. Unity. So we have variety. We want to recognize variety, but we need to emphasize unity. One body. Together. We're going there together. I shared with you before, folks, I I coached football for 10 years. If I had a team where everyone wanted to do their own thing, (coughs) we didn't go nowhere. If I had a team that lacked size and strength, but everybody was doing the same thing together, we win state. In 2001, I had a team, average weight of the team was 250 pounds. 
I had a Samoan on that team that couldn't even fit through the door of the church. He was the biggest man-child I ever saw in my life. Giant, we called him Tiny. Isn't that funny? Everybody does that, right? Oh, here's little John. Why do you call him little? Because he's so big. I don't know. We called him Tiny. We slaughtered everyone. Slaughtered them all. We just, the bodies were just everywhere when we finished a game. We went all the way, coasted the state. We, I don't even think, I think the average score against us, I think we only gave up 12 points the whole year. Which, by the way, if you don't know football, it's pretty good. So we get all the way to state, and we're playing this team called Rio Hondo. Now, Rio Hondo, a little bitty team. We, we should have mashed them into the ground, but they slaughtered us. I didn't slaughter us, but they beat us in overtime. It was a good game. But the point is, why? Why, why did we lose? Why were we unable? Because we hadn't learned. There was another lesson we needed to learn in our development. What was that? That every single member must fulfill his responsibility on the team. And when you do that, it doesn't matter how big you are. When we were one state, our average weight was about 170. We played a team like us years earlier that outweighed us by 50 pounds per man. And we won because every member did his job. Is the church any different? It's no different than that. We are all called to a responsibility. We are all given a gift. We are all function within a ministry. And we are called to exercise that through the energy of the Holy Spirit for the benefit of everybody. That's what we're supposed to do. That's how the body functions together. That we recognize variety, we emphasize unity. And then he goes on in verse 15. Now what if the foot should say, well because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or what about the ear? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? He says the next thing we ought to do is prohibit inferiority. Think about these two events. What do you notice first? about a person usually their eyes where do you look at their eyes in fact if you're meeting somebody and they're staring at your ear you're gonna think what in the world is wrong with this guy bro I'm over here I'm over here and you ever talk to somebody who's got a lazy eye you know that eye that drifts off somewhere and you catch yourself looking Because most of the time, that which is seen is the eyes. That which is not seen is the ears. Unless you're watching a UFC fight. In which case, them guys got the gnarliest twisted ears. Wow, I don't know what to tell you. If you've never seen it, it's okay. But I digress. The point is, we don't want to start thinking, because I'm not visible, I'm not as important. For example, I'm wearing shoes today. You can't see my feet. The people in the front row are happy about that. Does it make my feet less important? No, if I don't have feet, I'm not standing. I'm not walking. I'm not moving. Every part is important. Even the parts that you don't always see. 
Right now, we have a vital, vital part of our ministry, ministering to our kids. Folks, that's not secondary. To me, that's primary. We may not ever see them. But thank God that they're there. And it's, it's a sad thing, but every church I've ever been a part of, the, the one area within the church that has the greatest need, you want to take a guess? Children's ministry. We're always short. I, don't th- I, think we're, I think on Wednesday night we're so short we only have one person that's, doing, that's able to do children's ministry. What does that mean? That means somewhere within our body there's a member that's not seen that thinks, well, I'm just a foot. I'm not important. But you are important. The body cannot move forward without all the pieces functioning together. So we recognize variety. We emphasize unity. We prohibit inferiority. Hey, every part is vital. And then the scripture goes on. Now, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now, God has set the members, oh, here's that phrase again, each one, each one of them in the body, how? Just as he pleased. Oh, Lord, I don't want to be in children's ministry. Well, the Lord says, that's how I made you. That's where you're going to find your greatest fulfillment, fulfilling the ministry that God has called you to do. Jeremiah, when he said, you know what, God, I'm done talking for you. Everybody gets mad at me every time I talk about it. Forget it. I will not speak another word that you tell me to say. You know what happened to Jeremiah? He couldn't stop. He said, my heart burns within me. I got to do what God's called me to do. We've got, if, if I feel like I'm not fitting, I'm not fulfilling my purpose within the body, it may be that that purpose that God has laid out for me, I'm not exercising. I want to exercise that purpose, whether it be youth ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry. There's all kinds of opportunity, all kinds of opportunity. I need to find where I fit and be pouring myself in. You know the difference between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee? The Dead Sea only has water flowing in. It's dead. The Sea of Galilee, the Jordan flows in and the Jordan flows out. In our lives, if all we do is receive and we don't give, we're going to be dead. But if we receive and give, if we receive God's word and we look for opportunities to share that word, now we're going to fulfill the ministry, the gifts, and the callings that God has placed on our life. Scripture goes on to tell us in verse 19. But if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members but one body. Yet, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I don't need you. What's the eye going to accomplish if it doesn't have a hand? I see a problem. Hey, I see a problem. I see a problem. If there's no hand, who's going to take care of the problem? Well, I'm glad you have an eye. You need to grow an arm. Maybe your eye sees there's food and I'm hungry. I don't have no hands. I don't have no feet. I'm just an eye. I'm just going to sit here and moisten myself. 
and, and wish, I wish I could have some of that food. But the body can't function like that. We're not all eyeballs. We need... <laughs> anyway, we need all kind of... Jason's on the floor over there. We need all kinds... We need all kinds, all members functioning together. Check it out. Look what he says. Now, we, we need to realize if the head, nor again, uh, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. What good is a head without feet? Where is it going to go? Nowhere. What's it going to do? Nothing. It's going to have a lot of great thoughts, but nothing's ever going to be implemented because the rest of the body's not there. What is the next part of this? Listen, guys, we recognize variety. We, we want to focus on unity. We want to prohibit inferiority i have no value and we have to fight self-sufficiency all i need is me i just need the eye i just need the thumb we need the whole body working together all of it every piece doing what has been supplied by god so that we can be who and what god has called us to be look at verse 22 he says no much rather Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. What's he mean? That word bestow literally means to wrap or to clothe. How many times do we hide deficits within our body with clothes? How many people has ever said, does this sweater make me look fat? No, the sweater doesn't have anything to do with it. The fat underneath the sweater, however, on those things which we think are weak, we bestow greater honor. We wrap them up and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts, those parts which are seen, they have no need of this of this covering. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. What is he talking about? What if your heart just decided, I'm tired of nobody seeing me. So I'm just going to pop outside for a while. That's a problem, isn't it? It's no longer doing that part for which it was meant to do. You've heard of people wearing their heart on the sleeve, but we don't literally do that. We keep the heart where it needs to be. Not out doing all kind of other craziness. Our lungs. What if they just said, you know, it's been cool inside the body, but I want to get out for some fresh air. It's not going to work. Because why? Because they're designed to be where they are, to fit where they're to fit, to do what they need to do. But because I don't see them, are they less important? You can't live without your lungs. Your kidneys stop working. You'll know what the kidney's for. Right? We, we have this thing today where they say that from evolution, our appendix is no longer needed. Well, if your appendix stops working, you sure know, don't you? All of a sudden, your whole body says, help, somebody get this out. That's the way the body is to function. Each part doing what it's intended to do. Why? In verse 25, look, that there would be no schism. No division in the body. Every part is necessary. Every part. But that the members should have the same care for one another. Remember what we said? How will they know you are my disciples? By what? 
By how good a hand you are, how good an eye, how good you see, how good you hear, how well you can smell. By the way, my wife has a gift of smell. Just the other day, don't get crazy now. Just the other day, we're sitting out on the patio. Way off in the distance, I see a cat walk by. And Kathy says, man, that cat stinks. I can barely see that cat. So, some of us are called just to be a nose, maybe. She can always inform me when I need more Febreze in the house. But listen, the point is that each member of the body does what? It loves each other. They will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. That the eye can love the ear, that the hands love the feet, that the heart and the kidneys and all those parts that are covered are all vital. They're all important. And we're to love each other. We're to recognize we're different. It's okay. We're called to do different things. How are we going to get everything done if we're not, we don't have variety? But we have to have unity. We got to overcome the idea that, oh, well, well, I don't have any gift. Well, how many times did he say to each one, to each one, to each one? You have a purpose, a part that you're to fulfill within the body of Christ, within this body, Calvary Chapel Buell. And our ability to fulfill those needs and answering the call that God lays on our hearts is directly related to our ability to succeed and be everything that God's calling us to be for our community. And we got to guard against self-sufficiency. I don't need any other part of the body. We need each other. We need each other to be able to go. <clears throat> if I didn't have Kathy, I'd never know how I smelled. <laughs> Sorry, babe. I just got that look that says you're paying for that later. <clears throat> In verse 26, it says, Now if one member suffers, I better hurry up. All the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing, help, administration, and variety of tongues. Are all apostles... This is what's known as a rhetorical question in the Greek language. It demands the answer no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. Why? Because we have a variety of gifts within the body of Christ. But earnestly desire the the best gifts. Folks, listen to the last part of verse 31. And yet I show you, what? A more excellent way. A more excellent way. Folks, the body of Christ spends a lot of time arguing and bickering over gifts of the Spirit that should be flowing naturally within the body together. Yet, there's a more excellent way. What's the more excellent way? Chapter 13. Love. Right? The more excellent ways. Having that attitude by which and through which we're able to do that which we're called to do. Listen, the Word of God lays out for us this. 
You are important. You are unique. And we need you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you. We thank you for the truth of your word, God, and how important your word is to our ability to function. Father, I pray that you would place within each one of us a hunger and a thirst for your word, that we would seek all week long for an opportunity to be filled. Lord, in being filled by the power of your word, that you would give unto us those gifts that we need. Father, if we're low and depressed, God, please give us the gift of tongues that we may be edified as we worship you outside of our intellect, God, and you just meet us in that place. It's so beautiful. God, if we need the the boldness to reach out and, and affect our neighbors with the truth of your word, God, give us that gift. Father, if whatever we need, whatever is lacking, Father, we desire the best gifts. And we know you are the one who gives those gifts as you will. God, we pray for our body, the body here, the body of Christ at Calvary Chapel Buell. Father, we want to affect our neighbors, our friends, family, those around us. Lord God, we want the Holy Spirit flowing through our lives, energizing us that we change our community. But that we change our community how you will. As you direct. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has felt, I just, I don't have a gift. I, I don't have a purpose. Lord, today that they would know he has given to each one as he wills. Each of us, we fulfill a role within the body. God, I pray for those areas where we're lacking, for children's ministry. We we pray, God, that you would bring laborers to the field that are willing to use their gifts in that ministry to affect our future. For the future is our kids. Lord, we pray for those areas that are, that, are, that are lacking, whether in women's ministry or men's ministry or, or those areas that we'd like to see move forward, Father God, and, and, and for the leadership and celebrate recovery and all of these things, God, that we feel your spirit moving in. Lord, we pray that you would bring those members of the body that bring the gifts we need in each case. Not that we might be glorified but that you might be glorified and magnified for all you do. Lord, we pray that that rushing wind of your Spirit would blow through your people. Ignite us to be and to do what you call us to do. Enable us to answer the call. Enable us to step out in faith to serve. Because if we want to grow... (coughs) If we want to know more of you, we've got to pour out even as you pour in. So, Lord, we lay this this day before you and we do pray for your continued equipping of your saints by the power of your spirit for the work of the ministry. And we glorify you for the work that you do in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.